0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast.
1: I'm Scott. And I'm Jesse.
2: And this is Hugh from LibriVox and a few other projects in the web. (laughs)
1: All right. Well, I I figured LibriVox is the. Is the it's the one I know you for? Yeah. What I know that I think in the Wikipedia entry, it's got some other stuff, you know, some other webby things you've done, but nothing that's anywhere the stature of Librivox in my mind. What, what else? What else are you working on?
2: Uh, well, I, th- I think you're right about that. Librivox has been the one, uh, definitely the one big success, um, and I've done a few other um, startupy, webby kinds of things over the years. I did uh, could have a uh, thing called Ear Ideas, which is just the aggregator of lots of good podcasts from around the web. Um, and the last couple of years, I've been working around really looking at the digital, or as as bookmaking goes to digital, and and uh, started a, a company called Book Oven to try to replicate um, some of the thinking or ideas behind LibriVox, but in the context of making uh, actual digital hey, books. That's right. Paper books or digital books. Yeah. So, so the idea was kind of the uh, collaborative um, space online for people to work together to, to get books done. So that's, that's in a, a bit of uh, dormancy at the moment, but um, uh, we've got a new, new life of that uh, popping up soon. And then uh, I have a new kind of top secret project um, huh. that is in the audiobook. Area, um, but looking at doing uh, applying some of the LibriVox distributed model but to making audiobooks um, with publishers. But I won't talk more than that about that project, but gotcha. coming soon.
0: So, do you come at this from the programmer standpoint? Is that
2: uh, no? Okay, I, I'm it's funny, I'm I'm uh, uh, I guess completely ensconced in the web, but uh, I can barely make a um something appear bold in HTML. So I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, uh hardly a programmer at all. Um I guess I, I I came at it um my interest in the web really started um with an interest in free software from a I guess a philosophical point of view. Um and so I was reading a lot of stuff from Stallman and and then uh I guess Lawrence Lawrence Lessig as well and Various other luminaries in the, in that area, and uh, I was just really interested in this idea that um, as the web was opening up um, and free software was uh, available, so the tools were there, and this kind of new idea mechanism of mechanism of allowing people to collaborate and work together. Um, that was really the my driving interest, and it remains to be. And I guess I guess in the end, the thing that I'm most interested in is people creating stuff and sharing it one way or another. So whether that's mm-hmm. audiobooks or books or the podcasts or whatever it is, I'm, I'm, uh, or blogging for that matter, I'm really excited about that um, part of human enterprise that's really entered a new, um, a new era with the web and the ability to make stuff easily and share it.
0: Yeah, and it's really exploded uh, in that direction over the last few years, hasn't it? Are you... Are you-, uh, you- Are you pleased with how things are going on the internet? Uh, (laughs) That's an interesting question. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot, I don't know, I think uh, let's say five years ago with wide-eyed enthusiasm and naivete, I think a lot of people who were engaged on the web at that time really expected a new dawn to come, and and it turns out that there are... uh, Throughout history, no matter what technologies we have around, people tend to be about the same. So there's about the huh. same percentage of jerks and the same percentage of uh, nice people and, and smart people and dumb people and all that. And so I think that that uh, while the web has enabled all sorts of great stuff, we've seen it do lots of bad stuff as well. And I guess that is as it should be. There's, there's nothing pure in the world.
1: Well, I, I would say that that it's getting worse just because it's it's so much easier to get access to it, but uh, 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 that's only in parts, right? So, um, like, one of my friends, his website was taken down by virus attacks. He has no, you know, no value to be extracted, but because viruses are, you know, designed for commercial attack rather than, uh, you know, political attack, it it, it just was... it's so randomly annoying, um, and so damaging. Uh, it's that—that's the big negative I see on the internet is—is is the the damage that viruses are 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 causing. But and spam, but really they're the same thing. They're just two two variations on the same thing. Um, how how bulletproof is LibriVox to to that sort of thing? Are, are we on Linux servers and such?
2: Yeah, we have um well our our main site runs on uh just on WordPress. So we we suffer all the um, um <laughs> the problems of various WordPress uh, security holes which tend to get patched up relatively quickly. Um we are running a Linux box um and then we have a bunch of just I mean we really run with very little special software we've got our um uh, forum software, which is just PHPBB, um, and we have WordPress, and then we have a wiki, which is just MediaWiki, and then we've got we do have some custom-built uh, cataloging and project management software. But uh, we've had a couple of attacks over the year, years, but not not a whole lot. Um, and uh, our guy who runs our Servers is a pretty shrewd system administrator and architect, so he's, he's kept us pretty, pretty yeah, safe.
1: Yeah, must be a key person because it's so, it's so uh, you know, the, the holdings are so vast now.
2: Well, actually, our, um, the audio itself is hosted at the Internet Archive. Right. So they I know they sort of back up stuff in quintuplicate and have stuff all over the place. So uh, So the actual audio is hosted elsewhere. Um, so it's really the, um, and even, I guess, most of the metadata gets put into our, uh, internet archive, um, uh, pages, but, um, but it's really the front end. So the front end for, for sort of listeners and then just our, our tools that people who are participating in LibriVox, that's, uh, that's the stuff that we host.
0: Got it. So LibriVox, it's entirely staffed by volunteers. Is that right?
2: Yeah, we did. So we went for four and a half years without having any funding at all in, into Libibox. Um And so the front-end servers were paid for by various people out of pocket. Uh, we had a bit of support one year from Project Gutenberg. Um, but we finally decided that that the costs of keeping those servers running was, you know, it was getting into a few thousand dollars a year. Um, nice. And so, and that is just for for the front end part. But we get, you know, we get six hundred and fifty thousand visits a month to the site. So, it, it, oh, wow. yeah. and, and there's a lot of database querying and stuff. So, um, so anyway, we we decided finally to raise some money, but that's purely to uh, pay for servers and do a little bit of redesign work. Um, but yeah, everything else is completely done by volunteers.
0: So, are you uh, you take donations, or, or how do you? Uh. We did so. We did one in,
2: I guess it was February. We did a fundraiser, um, and it was the first one we did. And we capped it. We said we wanted to raise twenty thousand bucks, mm. and then I think uh, so. In two weeks, we raised uh, a little bit more than twenty thousand, and then we just sh- uh, shut down the fundraiser. Although, when people ask if they can donate money, uh, you know, if they contact us and ask specifically about donating money, then we're happy to take it. And, and that actually goes to the Internet Archive, who kind of is our legal entity that, that sort of um, houses us at the moment. Oh, okay. uh, and then they just kind of pay for whatever, uh, if, if we need something, they'll pay for it. So,
0: so the Internet Archive, is that the, the Wayback Machine? Ah, That's people? right, yeah. Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah, so it's, I didn't realize yeah. that I was
0: connected. So they're kind yes. of, okay.
2: They're, um, they started, I guess, as the Wayback Machine, but but they've evolved into uh, what they call a digital library, and so they host all sorts of uh, all sorts of media. And they have a, a book scanning project, um, which I guess is parallel to or um, in competition with Google. But th- their approach is really as as a library rather than a business. Um, so so they've been they were really early supporters of of LibriVox and have continued to sort of. Provide us um, well. Hosting of audio is the main thing. I mean, we push out. I, I, I don't really keep close stats, but there are terabytes of data that go out um, every month from the project. So, yeah,
0: it's kind so of we're fascinating not how not to, to that,
2: worry about that.
0: It's fascinating how all that seems to work. So, I mean, is, is Internet Archive also kind of a volunteer organization?
2: They're a nonprofit organization. A non-profit. Uh,
0: yeah, but it's so interesting they a, that, that them and you know Google and and them are kind of in the same, you know, I guess you'd call it a marketplace, but there really isn't, you know, there's not a monetary uh, incentive for the Internet Archive, right?
2: Right. They're, well, again, they're a nonprofit, and they're approaching things as a library. So they partner with a lot of libraries to scan books um, and... Uh, you know, they've got scanning, uh, book scanning systems set up uh, in a bunch of university libraries around North America.
1: That's separate from Project Gutenberg, right?
2: Right, it's separate from Project Gutenberg. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Project Gutenberg. I mean, for us, where we do everything we do is based on public domain texts, um, we've relied almost well not exclusively but to such a large degree on project gutenberg because they provide clean texts uh that you can manipulate uh, out the other end whereas stuff at google and internet archive the actual uh ocr versions. so the when they convert the sort of scans of books into actual text files there's all sorts of mess that happens in that process so Project Gutenberg remains the best source of clean, good, uh, well proofread read
1: uh, e-texts. And sure. legally legally uh, ch- cleared all, as well, right? It's-
2: yeah. that's So the Internet Archive provides that hosting infrastructure and then Project Gutenberg has really allowed us to, um, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about the legal stuff too much because they've Done all the work to, list, to make sure that stuff is in the public domain in the U.S. So, so that's been a a, a great help. So, those are the two institutions that really have um, uh, upon which Librivox was built.
1: I, I, I the other thing, I uh, if we're going to talk about Internet Archive, I I found the TV Archive, which is a related. Um, I think it was it was paid for by the same source as the Internet Archive. Yeah. Um, and that, that's kind of interesting, too. But it also doesn't have uh, the public access that the, uh, the regular Internet Archive has. It's it, it basically a recording of all all television channels. On.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's really amazing. Um, they, the one sequence I've seen on it was, uh, uh, a, I think it's they have the 24 hours uh, for every American television channel uh, on 9 right and yeah. then they they so you can switch between all the channels at the time as it's running and then they have a a, a collection uh, a a sort of a summary a s- summation so that it, you can see it as it appears on all the different channels and it switches around and it's it's pretty amazing it it really gives you um you know insight into what's going on um in retrospect it's going to be a great tool for historians Really great tool.
2: Yeah, there's such an interesting thing now about archiving all this digital ephemera and, and or uh, I guess more substantial stuff like television shows. But there's just the ability is getting there to be able to capture all this in and store it, and God knows what we'll do with it. But um, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. I, I, I don't know if you saw that, but the Library of Congress is taking all of the Twitter feeds. <laughs> From Twitter, and they're now uh, archiving those in the Library of Congress. So, these, uh, <laughs> to, to sure the great shame I mean. of
1: many great grandparents in the future. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right. Well, better Twitter than Facebook, I'd say. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, I, 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 is somebody trying to uh, archive Facebook? Because that 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 would be a great shame to humanity. The <laughs> yeah. aliens can't come down to Earth, and they they demand access to our records. We're going to be yeah, not allowed, invited yeah. into the Galactic Council. If, is, sure. if the
0: aliens it's ever the aliens. arrive, and just look at the YouTube comments, I think we're all—yeah, <laughs> 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 we're, we're done for.
2: I wouldn't I wouldn't wish it upon the worst alien in the solar system to have to read YouTube comments.
0: Right. Sad. So, um, if you know, talking about philosophy a little bit. Um, is the philosophy that you're talking about, you know, just free information? I mean, is that kind of the the logical end of kind of what you're shooting for?
2: So it's it's funny. I, I'm um, uh, I would say no, uh, but I do think what's interesting about the free software movement, for instance, and what that enabled um, is that when certain kinds of information are free you get, or, or certain kinds of goods are free, you end up getting all sorts of innovation and uh, commerce and business and art and culture and all sorts of things that happen on top of it. So I think that m- my view, I'm not particularly for everything ought to be free, uh, but I do think that um, that by having a uh, certain kinds of things free or more easily accessible, whether those be software tools or um, public domain texts or um, you know expired patents or whatever it is, that you end up seeing a lot more innovation um, and a lot more stuff happening, people able to build things, than if everything is always locked down for 150 years owned by 7 or 10 corporations. So I think I'm not... I'm not radical in the sense that I think everything ought to be free and no one should ever pay for anything. Um, on the other hand, I think that um, that having, for instance, a looser copyright um, system will result in a lot more uh, a lot more innovation and actually a lot more vibrant culture and business. Um, but I think there are. Obviously, that's to the detriment of the small group that tends to control these these things. Yeah, actually,
1: so. it, it, I was just thinking about that last night. I was listening to um, the Iliad. Uh, there yeah. the, There's three or four different versions of the Iliad on LibriVox. I was listening to one that, for some reason, had uh, all the gods were in uh, using the Roman names, and I thought, well, right. well, why not? Why not go that way? Whatever. <laughs> um, I guess it was probably just from a Roman source or something rather than. Uh,
2: uh, I think it was it was the British translators that in in a certain era they yeah. just decided to convert everything to Roman for whatever reason.
1: Oh, I was I was just enjoying that, and then uh, and then I thought, oh yeah, I've got the uh, I've got the commercial version as well, and that it's a you know by a professional narrator, and you know mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't that you know I can't do one and I can't do the other. I, I liked having both sources, both texts available. One a free version. Uh, that is, uh, I think it was read by multiple narrators. I'm just on the first section, but um, that that's that's always bothered me. That's the thing I like le- least about Librivox is a collection of um, uh, readers for one book. Yes. Yeah. if if if, if I, and that's the trend that it's been going away from, which I really like. Uh,
2: actually, it's it's stayed about. Um, amazing! It, quite a surprise to me, but it stayed almost consistently fifty-fifty between wow. solo recordings and collaborative recordings over the course of the maybe Boston. not in science fiction, <laughs> maybe not
1: in science fiction.
2: Right? That that might be the case. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And and there are some some pretty keen science fiction readers who yes, uh, uh you know <laughs> like to do something themselves. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I I've been. um have been uh we've we've had a uh, few of them on the podcast or at least two of them anyways yeah. uh, on the podcast and they're great they're great folks, but uh getting back to um getting back to uh, what you were saying about you know giant corporations sitting on uh, copyrights, um I'm reading this other uh, audiobook an, a commercial audiobook called the Most Powerful Idea in the World: A Story of Steam Industry and Invention by William Rosen and it's a great book and one of the one of the things that he's talking about in there is about how the industrial revolution got started is is the creation of patents um... the ability to um, reward work uh... reward innovation and yet having that limited so that it wasn't a permanent uh... monopoly by the creator it was a temporary monopoly by the creator to allow for innovation and to reward innovation, and all of the 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 you know captains of capitalism back in the, uh, Scotland and uh, 17th and 18th centuries, 19th centuries are uh, basically of one of two minds, which is um, reward me uh, forever for being so innovative at the beginning, or um, reward me temporarily, and. The reward me temporarily group are the the ones who think innovators should be given prizes, and the the ones who think that they should be rewarded permanently are are saying I don't want any I don't want a, a prize as in cash money I want uh, the monopoly so that I can control the production of this device for all time. I can extract rent from every person who uses this device for all time, and luckily, we didn't go that way completely because it would have completely stopped the industrial revolution is the thesis of william rosen's book and um this idea of rent seeking behavior uh the behavior of a big corporation to sit on its its uh and to control the the market by by asking uh government to make laws to prevent people from using. Uh, their innovations that they made ten years ago or hundred years ago, um, is kind of the opposite of what Librivox is, right? You're you're going for the idea that this is already out there. Let's use what we have, and it's. I mean, I'm looking at a lot of old books now. I think this yeah. is great.
2: Yeah, and I think the the uh, so again, my top secret project that I won't talk about <laughs> too much, but. Um I'm talking to various publishers, and the I think the small publishers are much more open. The bigger publishers have a certain desire to just keep their intellectual property, their old backwards books that they're not doing anything with um, in a way that's that's sort of damaging. I think you know the, the there's no value being extracted from those or very little at the moment, and yet, Um, If someone comes to them with the idea to do something with it, uh, they're very, can be very restrictive in how they look at that. And so you sort of, uh, there's this question about um, what's happened to, for instance, I don't know if you've heard of the Orphan Works problem in the Uh Google Book Scanning project, but there are all these books um, that are in theory not in the public domain in the U.S., uh, because nothing's gone into the public domain that was published after 1923, or at least uh, only exceptions have. Um, but there's all these works where no one even knows who the copyright owner is, the author is dead, there's no estate, the uh, publishers no longer exist, um, and these works are all just stranded in this sort of limbo, and no one's allowed to do anything with them, um, and this was the big, there was a big controversy over the uh, the Google Books settlement with the Authors Guild and uh, I don't know who the other group was, uh, but in any case, the, the, the settlement sort of gave um, uh, Google legal immunity for doing stuff and they set up some complicated system to allow this to happen. But, um, uh, you know, the, the, this problem of copyright when things get restricted to the point where, no one's able to do anything productive with certain goods, I think, is, is a, a bad thing. Um, or if things are so tied down that only one uh, institution will ever get to do anything with certain intellectual goods uh, for all eternity, it's, uh, it's problematic.
0: It's uh, frightening. I guess I really don't understand how it all works, but how... I mean, if, if you have a work that, you know, the publisher's gone and the author's gone and there's no estate, who is it that... who is it that is preventing people from doing something with it.
2: So, so it's, it's not so much um, uh, that there's uh, anyone preventing. Um, it's just that there's great legal uncertainty. And the worry is if you go and make a movie out of that book, for instance, then the, with the expectation that you know, that you get X return, and then it turns out that the copyright holder appears from nowhere and says, "Actually, I do have the copyright on this, and I claim it." Then you're legally on the hook for all sorts of problems. So, so that so it's sort of, it's kind of the uh, I guess it's I don't know if it's the correct application of the legal term, but it's chilling effect. It's kind of this idea that that there's just too much risk out there with these works, so no one no one can really touch them. And things like you know doing a, a large scale project like scanning them all. Mm-hmm. Um, Various parties like the Authors Guild will claim to represent the unknown copyright owners in this case. So, so um, uh, again, it's those sort of institutions that have grown up to kind of control how we access cultural goods that, that end up turning the tourniquet a little bit on them.
1: I see. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's not just for movies either. So if there's a book that's been out of print since the 1940s and we think it would be a great book to have as a textbook for our university, then uh, printing up a copy of it uh, is not going to happen unless you can find out who the copyright owner is. The, the, the actual selling of that book in your university bookstore um, might not, you know, they just might not do it, right? Because, because right. they're so, worried about legal indemnity. And even though the profits are going to be minimal... You know, for such a an endeavor, even the scanning and putting it up on a website, um, even though there's no money changing hands, the idea that there is this unknown, like Scott saying, "I don't know enough or that much about it," that's the thing that prevents it from happening, and so it just dies, and nobody ever reads that book anymore. And as right, the paper it, dies, it goes
2: right. passes yeah. out
1: of passes out of memory. Mm. And there are wonderful works that are lost to us because there are no existing printed versions, and there are no uh, available even websites sh- hosting those because of of the that that basically crappy copyright law
2: right, and if you look at something like Project Gutenberg, they're not going to host that kind of book because it's not certain and it sort of puts their whole Enterprise in jeopardy if they start.
1: That's right, because they don't have certain, you know, so. uh, it's it, they don't have a uh, war chest to prevent, uh, you know, to hire lawyers on retainer and keep them keep them uh, indemnified, and and that's not the way the way, you know that's not the way LibriVox works, right? You guys don't want to start raking in profits just to prevent the inevitable right. lawsuits, so you just avoid that completely, but. Even that that even though there's so much greatness on LibriVox, there's tons of greatness that could be in there sure. uh, if we just knew what was legally available and what wasn't.
2: Right, and or, or if you know, you could just per- convince the uh, a copyright owner that this would be beneficial because it'll help people discover their uh, discover that writer or the, or the books, or whatever. So. Uh, yeah, there's, there's. Anyway, it's certainly a, a complex area, and I know, um, uh, yeah, we haven't we haven't seen the end of it yet. I think there's still a lot of debate yet to to happen around these issues.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with the. You're in Canada, so we're uh, we, we are fighting the uh, the upcoming law. It's going to open up things and then shut them right back down. I'm sh- I'm sure <laughs> you're you're you've got you've held an opinion on uh, Bill C32. Am Am I correct? Yeah,
2: I haven't looked at the latest um, the latest uh, version of it, um, but my general opinion is I'm not going to like it. I've no. seen I've seen enough of, of uh, the earlier versions of it, and my understanding is that, that not mm, 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 a, a, a large part of the critical issues weren't to address. So.
1: so this is why we got to get you into the Senate so you can that's help, right help <laughs> uh, help help add some sober second thought.
2: That sounds good. I'm, I'm all for that.
1: <laughs> I love it. So I'm, so I'm looking here at Book Oven.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so would you mind explaining again what what exactly it, it looks like? It says you you make books. Um,
2: yeah. So so Book Oven um, again. It's it's a little bit on hiatus at the moment, but the idea was to build a platform so you get your text in. Uh, you invite editors to uh, edit your text. Um, and then you have a finished text that can be exported into whatever format you like um and it's as I say it's sort of on hiatus. We didn't quite get where we were planning to go on book of but that was the idea but i think I think we we suffered from um uh i guess it's uh feature creep in in uh-huh. development terms and kind of um lack of focus in in startup terms so i think we okay. we we didn't identify the, uh, the clear need in, in, the, uh, in the world of, of writers that was that was jumping out, and it it turns out, actually, that finding that having an online tool for editorial isn't really a, a, a core need for most uh, most writers. It's more about, um, I guess or, or at least really the key is, is getting the community around uh, writing happening and it's sort of a uh we're in this really weird transitional phase between uh paper books and and digital and I don't think book writing has fully embraced the internet yet so, so we're in an odd time I would say for uh for writing. Mm-hmm. But but a very um promising time I think as 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 uh more and more writing starts happening on the web, I think. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, uh, would 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 you mind uh, just switching back to Librivox for a second? Sure. Uh, yeah. I had this idea last night. Also, uh, I guess part of uh, not being able to sleep very well last night, I I I kept coming up with ideas, and one of them was um what one of the things uh, I think that is a big shame is that uh, libraries don't promote uh, Canadian libraries, anyways, don't promote Librivox. Like you don't walk in there and say and. By the way, you're in this this section. uh, You could get all these free audiobooks over in this website. And I Mm -hmm. I just think that'd be a great thing. But one of the things that might work to do that is um, somehow using the Dewey Decimal System. I I, I was thinking the Dewey Decimal System is sort of long abandoned now, right? Nobody cares about it. Nobody thinks about it anymore. But um, when you're accessing things on LibriVox, we can sort by author. We can sort by... um, Uh, title can we sort by subject
2: yes but not very well um uh but yes there's uh in the advanced um in the advanced catalog there's uh let me just call that up um you can search by genre but you kind of have to know what genres you're searching by so that's
1: yeah like you can't you can't just uh 7 714 I, I love the 1714 section of the library <laughs> right um uh, if if you know what sections of the library you love you can go and see what's new you know browse the right. shelves there so, um
2: so we do have a redesign coming uh it's been we were hoping to get it for the 5th anniversary mm-hmm. uh but which but was the August site, right right August 10th um so we haven't got there yet but um uh expect to, anyway by the end of this year we'll have that up that's that's a good <laughs> giving a nice lead time but um the uh the new design will make it a lot easier to um browse by various things including genre and uh, category and and reader title author language etc Yeah,
1: I I think this is the language thing is is pretty amazing. Just switching into other languages. What percentage of the catalog is becoming non-English?
2: Yeah, it's still a relatively small percentage. Uh, There are twenty-nine languages represented in the catalog, but uh, I think it's only maybe ten percent of the catalog is not in English. Um, But there's a big, a relatively big French, Spanish, and German. Um, sections and then smatterings of other, their languages.
1: Uh, I guess English is just too (laughs) (laughs) kick-ass.
2: Well, I guess, you know, the, the, most of the people who, when the project started were English and, you know, the website is primarily in English, even though we do have translations of the website. Um, And I think it just, I don't know, I, I think there's, it's funny, I think there's a particular, and I've noticed this as a Canadian, I notice it uh, between sort of Canadians versus Americans, um, and certainly as a Quebecer, I notice it within the Francophone culture, there's a different approach to um, this um, volunteerism. Uh-huh. I think in the Anglo-Saxon world, um, and particularly the American Anglo-Saxon version of Anglo-Saxonism, but... Um, but there's a real uh, embrace of volunteerism and doing these kinds of things for pleasure and for the good of the world that's uh, at least very strongly represented in Anglo-Saxon culture in a way that it doesn't quite translate into other cultures. So I've, I've noticed that. And again, I notice it even between Canadians and Americans that Canadians are just much quicker to – or Americans are much quicker to embrace this idea of, of doing something for the good of humanity, um, which sort of surprises me. I always thought Canadians would be more like that, but but by and large, I find it's the Americans who who jump on board with these things faster and with more gusto.
1: Yeah, it's uh, kind of surprising that you're living in Canada, (laughs) that you would start this at all. I mean, uh, I figured it was an American uh, project, but no, you're a Canadian.
2: I am. (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's funny. The uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I I haven't quite figured out what the cultural difference is, but I think there's there's more of a wild west approach in in the states, which is just ah uh, screw it, let's just do it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And Canadians are a bit more conservative and a bit more concerned about what people think. I think by
1: and large. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Well,
0: I just found yeah. a. Uh... Cool section in LibriVox that I didn't know was there is the short nonfiction. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at uh, the short nonfiction collection, volume one, as things like uh, The Somnambulist by Jack London, about 15 minutes long. Um, nice. Why Are All Men Gamblers by Arthur Brisbane? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool.
1: It's you really cool. That would really help in the, in the nonfiction department. Is is a category by nonfiction, right? Uh-huh. Well, yeah. isn't uh, basically all nonfiction lumped together? So history goes with biology, and
2: well, we we do have a genre page. Um, so if you go to that advanced, let me see, let me see I'll give you the uh, if if you go to Librivox dot org slash new catalog slash genres dot php, you'll you'll be able to sort <sighs> by. Ancient texts and art and instruction languages, etc. So you can kind of pick out the nonfiction genres,
1: plural, way. right?
2: Yes. G e n r e s. Ah, this p-g-g-g-g.
1: is kind of buried. I, I haven't seen this before.
2: Yeah, we, we I must say, um, it's pretty funny. The the LibriVox site has looked pretty much the same since. So so it had one big revamp. In, I guess beginning of or no i guess it was late 2005 and then we did another revamp with our when we implemented our catalog system which would have been probably in 2007 and we just we haven't touched really the 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 front end of the site since then so it's it's really never been optimized for uh for usage so there's a lot of stuff that's buried in there but but it has been it's funny actually it was starting in 2006 I was just looking at the old forum posts um, and in 2006 I wrote I think it's time for a serious rethink and redesign of the front end of the site and we <laughs> still haven't got around to it yet so mm-hmm.
1: well it does work it does mm-hmm. work and yeah. and uh, basically what I do is I just keep track of the RSS feeds and then yeah uh, as long as you don't let that get past you I mean a lot of things have got past me but. As long as you don't, you know, leave it for too long, you can sort of see what the trends are anyways, if not the entire, entire thing, what's going on. Yeah, Yeah, and... and Forums are good too, but just to to know what's what's happening, there's no no popularity, like, that's one of the things you guys don't do on LibriVox is rate, there's no rating system. And I think that's wise, because, uh, like, reasons I think you've stated on the forums... Is that's not our business, right? Our business is making audiobooks, and you leave yeah. the ratings to other websites, right? But yeah. the popularity by download might be useful or interesting, and I think there is yeah. one little top ten or something like maybe that's on Project Gutenberg. I can't remember.
2: Yeah, um, so the Internet Archive has—they don't keep great stats, or so at least we don't trust them. But they have stats, so they have download most popular downloads. Um, But our our, um, view has always been if we make – we have an open API for the catalog, so other developers have actually made uh, some websites and some great um, iPhone apps as well that deal with our content a lot better than than we seem to in terms of user interface. So so that's been good. Um, There's been less of that than I expected, actually, to be honest. I thought there would be a bit more – Uh, a bit more sort of diving into, to our catalog. But, um, um, but anyway, we hope to have at least, so we're, we're not going to have ratings or popularity. I think we might have something like suggested or recommended or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we do have kind of a, a sort of a staff's pick um, in the blog. Every once in a while uh, we list off um, some stuff that, that, Members of the Librivox community have particularly liked recently, um, and I think there should be more of that. You know, I, I do think that it's at the point now where the catalog is so big and unwieldy that you just don't know what you're going to get. So, um, and one thing, Jesse, that you'll be happy about is that we will have a little tag on on things, um, uh, stating whether they're solo or um, or not.
1: So. Oh, well, you can always click through and find out, but that, that would be handy.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you can just see right when you're looking through the browsing through the catalog, what's a solo recording and what's not. Because I, I actually agree with you. I, I uh, by and large, much prefer the uh, solo recordings to the collaborative ones. But,
1: if there's um, nothing else, I'll happily take you know any anything. But yeah. um, the, there's nothing worse than you start listening and it's oh, it's great narrator, and then yeah. some some dude comes on and he's got this. A thick accent that I don't understand his pronunciation of half the words, and I oh my god, what's going on? And then somebody else, and male and female, and just I, I I'm I guess I'm a conservative audiobook listener. I like, I like very straightforward productions.
2: Yeah, well, the, the, you know the 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 fundamental idea when we started, it never actually occurred to me that people would start doing solo recordings because I just thought it would be too much work. The audio, yeah, it's of- a
1: huge job
2: yeah the idea was let's just make it easy for lots of people to make chapters and 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 that'll be the end of it but uh clearly people love doing it and they love doing solos so which is great because I think it's uh I think there is some you know there are some really great collaborative readings that, that where the change of voice is actually just worked wonderfully but um but it can be jarring that's for sure uh, uh one
1: of the projects that I think that is great uh, that I'm just starting to get into is the 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 plays, which yeah. you take a a bunch of different readers who all perform their separate parts and then it's assembled, edited all together, and it's a you know production of Hamlet or a production of uh Othello. And I think that's a great way of, of you know assembling assembling a, a roster of people to do all yeah. the roles. That I mean, even though it's not a performance like a stage performance it is uh, the audio version of the text. And if you're sitting down, you know, side by side with the, you know, a copy of the book, um, you can hear it performed. You can hear how, hear the difference between um, what what's just on the page and that interactive performance. And it, it is really kind of neat.
2: Yeah, that, that, the drama stuff is always, that's just shocked me that, because the amount of work you know the amount of work to produce an audiobook yourself anyway is fairly large it takes a fair bit of time but those plays you know someone's got to sit down and edit everything together it's an amazing amount of work put into those so um, th- those are impressive they did uh, there's one group uh, a few years ago that did king lear but it, they were going to do king lear in a week so they had everything recorded edited and released within a week Came in, which are just sort of' <laughs> astounding
1: it is mm-hmm. uh, one of the other things I should mention I don't know if, uh, how how you you probably don't get a lot of feedback as to where librivox uh materials are being used um, you know because it's public domain it's not like they have to cite their source right they just they just go get it they use it uh so i was I was doing some uh grade twelve tutoring. And the student brought in the materials. We're doing some stuff online, and uh, they had to read us a, a story. And then um, there was a link to something on on the company, not company website, the curriculum website. And it was a LibriVox recording of oh, of the uh, text that they were supposed to read. And I thought, hey, this is. I mean, they weren't even hosting it on an archive. It was just. It was just you know they had extracted. The relevant section, I guess, and put it into the to the curriculum, and um, I thought that's just that's exactly what is so great about public domain materials, it, and you can't really wrap your head around it uh, right away. I, I know if you look in the forums, especially even I was sort of that way at the beginning. Is people go onto the forums and they they start typing. I just saw the worst thing ever. Somebody has yes. put put uh, a copy of LibriVox audiobook up on eBay. Worst thing ever. And then you're like, well, we don't mind. It's not really you know, if they can make money from it, great.
2: Yeah, it's it's an ongoing battle. We just had a, a, there was a, a pretty vociferous guy uh, who I guess he's a professional voice actor. Uh-huh. He had done something for LibriVox in 2006 and then I guess it turned up on Amazon. Someone was selling it on Amazon. And hmm. Was you know? I can understand why people get upset with it, and I, I yeah, don't. I can too. Uh, um, but we had a long discussion, and it, it just could not you know like he was convinced that our approach was bad for Librivox, and you know the the the, the whole thing. And and finally, you know, he's saying many more people go to Amazon than they do to Librivox. So people are going to see that they're not going to see the, the the free version. And to me, in a way, that's a perfect explanation of why it's actually good for Librivox because our mission is to just get the stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And and so if someone's making, you know, there's certainly not millions of dollars being made. No. Um, and given that the content is there free for anyone to use, if someone is making millions on Amazon selling our stuff, surely someone else is going to be smart enough to come and sell it at half price, right? So, oh. so just just the, the um, you know, it's it really is actually the invisible hand of the market. When the good itself is free, you can price just as much as um, people are willing to pay for it. And so the value that that person who's putting it up on Amazon has provided was taking the content, packaging it up, and putting it up on Amazon that we haven't bothered to do, and that, or, or we don't have time to do. And So, in fact, perfectly legitimate from my perspective for, him to, for someone to be charging to do that work to get the stuff accessible in a new kind of place. Now, it's not that I don't understand why professional voice actors wouldn't be upset about, about this happening. Um, but but in a way, it, it sort of proves the point that if you open the stuff up, then people can charge just as much as um, they sort of think it's worth for them to spend the time to package the stuff up and, and, and sell it. They're,
1: they're adding value, yeah. uh, however, however little value you know you think it's worth is if someone's willing to buy it, assuming they have perfect knowledge, um, then that that is the value now. The thing is, is the different. I mean, even I, I didn't come to this overnight, but I, I had a lot of sympathy for his position, and yep. then I was thinking, well, you know, that's the thing about Creative Commons is it will prevent you from doing that. But we're not talking Creative Commons; we're talking public domain.
0: Right, public and domain so
1: the, is not Creative Commons, and that's the, yeah, big the difference, right?
2: The one little area might be um, that that I'm I. I might waver on is just the attribution but yeah. it's just a headache and and in the end you know i noticed this actually when i'm doing uh uh you know when i've got to pull a photo out of somewhere for a blog post or something like that and i generally try to give attribution but it, it um if it calls for it in in the license but it just adds this layer of complexity and complication that we just didn't want anyone to ever have with the box recordings you can use them period, punto. And of course I see why some people wouldn't want to participate in that but lots of people have and do and, and so I don't think it's um, you know, I suppose that if we had more strict rules maybe more professionals would participate in Libavox but you know, we, we seem to be doing okay. So so I, I'm, I'm not too bothered by that.
1: Well um, you've had professionals come out of the you know, uh, uh, Mark Nelson has got work yeah. um, and uh other people are going to be getting work out of out of uh actually uh, one of our recent arrivals was um, uh was Gilgamesh the king by Robert Silverberg a, a mm-hmm. copyrighted book that's uh read by um a guy who has read for Librivox and it, it's it's great stuff it's 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 a training ground in a way but it's sure. also this free resource uh that will get you Get you started, um, get get your training, but also provide you know the public service even in that training. And I I think you know if you look at the, what the numbers are, people who who uh, write books, the, apparently the average um, selling price, average selling price is five thousand dollars for your first book, first novel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not good money for the amount of work you put in because most writers. You know, I think the average is they're saying they most writers sell a book in their first novel in their thirties, and it is the fourth book that they submitted, fourth book they finished, or something wow. like that. <laughs> and so five thousand dollars for uh, what is it? Uh, Thirty years and um, uh, uh, you know hundreds of hours presumably in writing those book those books. That's terrible money. I mean, you could wash dishes for much better money than that so yeah, the reason people write books is not because it's money it's because hey look I, I did this and that's I think what you can get on LibriVox is look hey look I did this and this can be heard anywhere in the whole world and this is the definitive free text until yep. someone else reads another copy <laughs> <Right>. of <it. laughs>
2: yeah, I, was, I was just looking at uh, Anne of Green Gables we now have five, five editions of, of audiobooks of Anne of Green Gables cool but yeah, I think, and, and again, I think the, the I totally understand the concern about, um, about attribution, right? Because what you don't want is someone uh, representing that it's theirs or, you know, cutting your name out of it or cutting LibriVox out of it. But in the end, um, I think there's been a lot less of that than actually you might have expected. So I think that, uh, in fact, most people who contact us or we get, enormous, not enormous, we get very frequently contacted by people saying, I'd like to use so-and-so, um, you know, c- can you sign off on it because our lawyers want to make sure or whatever. So uh, most people actually ask for, for permission. And, and again, I think the, the other kinds of things that pop up here and there, I, I, I just don't think are, are um, they just don't bother me all that much. And,
1: you don't want me asking you for permission. I post about Livervox all the time. I'd be emailing you constantly, oh, I'd be God, annoyed yeah. to hell. <laughs> I mean it's easier just to post it up and, and you know, cite well,
2: that's, the source. That's just it. I guess that's what I was getting at with the with the photos and creative commons licenses. It just it just adds this other bit of pain in the ass if I have to if if people have to ask for permission or have to cite or whatever. Um, you know, again we're Happier people point to LibriVox, but if they don't, um, the world is still getting uh, access to uh, to a uh, audiobook. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, even even if even if they they cut it up, they they try and disguise the voice, all that stuff. Right. You're providing a service to them. It's not that it has to serve everybody, right? That's it, right. That if if it serves one person uh, uh, as well as all those other people, then it's fine, right? It's not and, like they can. Uh, sit on it and that's claim right. it as their own copyrighted material. It's
2: right, and in fact, on, in that discussion with the Amazon case uh, recently, that was the one thing where I, I do have a problem is when someone claims copyright, which you know, these kinds of not-very-ethical companies do occasionally, mm-hmm. um, claiming copyright on something that's in the public domain. So that, that's the one part that, that, uh, that I, I do take issue with.
1: Well, if, the, if they if they if um, they remix it, right? They remix it. They that's add value story. to it. Then it's theirs. But that's if a they story. just if they just uh, you know put it on a CD and sell it, that's uh, their copyright is is only to whatever label they put on that CD, not the actual material right. yep. contained within. But uh, that's one of the problems with the new law, right? The DRM law.
0: Yeah, yeah, coming, yeah.
1: Is that you can. Make it illegal to access materials that are perfectly legal, yeah, and yeah. and that's the that rent-seeking behavior—the idea that you sit on something and you sue your way to—and uh, that's that's what a monopoly is, right? Is the ability to sue your way to profits right. rather than yeah. um, to generate them. <laughs> uh, by selling something. You sue your way to profits, and mm-hmm. uh, we can't have that. So, I, I'm. Let's get on a copyright rant We better get away from <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> You bet So what, what's the What's the great audiobook That you've been listening to On LibriVox lately
2: uh, 39 Steps um, it's uh, Adrian uh, I forget how to pronounce his name But Pritzalas um, So it's a John Buchan novel And it's great I I uh, um I've been listening to it at night actually i i t- i, I ha- so I have two places where I listen to audiobooks generally um, one is on long drives and the other time is when I'm trying to fall asleep and i can't so so I sort of float in and out and then I have weird dreams about spies and strange things so. but I was actually started i was doing some painting in our in our uh, home in, in the in the basement and um, um started listening to it there, and I was I was enthralled. I was sort of, when I finished the painting, I just sort of sat down and kept listening to the end of the chapter. So I love it when that happens with audio books, which doesn't happen for me all that often.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Adrian Pretzelis. I've not yeah. heard of him before.
2: Oh, he's great. Um, let me see if I can get his name right. I, I haven't quite got that.
1: P-R-A-E-T-Z-E-L-L-I-S. Pretzelis? Yeah. Pretzelis? I guess he says it on the, the recording.
2: Yes. Yeah, he does great stuff.
1: Nice. Mm-hmm.
2: I guess you're hearing my tapping there and just calling <laughs> up that. Sorry about that.
1: No problem.
2: Just wanted to see what else he's done. Oh, there's uh,
1: two other John Buchan books as well.
2: Yeah. He did. Uh, oh yeah, Treasure Island. His Treasure Island is great as well. Nice. He's, he's pretty good with the accents.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to get into this.
0: <laughs>
1: I created a, a, a way for me to talk about um, mystery crime and espionage books on the, on the website. So, Oh, good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a cheat, but it's a good one.
2: Good, so our, my, again, my top secret um, project that I'm not going to talk about, we're starting off with some literary fiction um and then the next collection is going to be some crime mystery stuff so all right so that should be interesting uh, and 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 then next is is uh science fiction but i i have yet to crack the um crack the science fiction publishers so
1: oh that's interesting um, i think i think you might want to go straight to the authors um that's a good idea uh, well, it
0: depends uh, on it yeah if you're doing short fiction then a lot of the authors handle that themselves but if yeah. you're talking novels, I, I don't think a lot of them do.
1: Well, the thing is, is uh, w- one of the problems, you know, you were saying before, uh, Hugh, was that uh, the big publishers they just don't they they don't want to do that because it's too piddly for them, right? Yeah, it's not piddly for the author. Sure. It's just too yeah. piddly for the company, right? Right. Because the the problem is, is the companies, in many cases, they don't have the audio rights, and they won't yeah. tell you that because that That'd be them getting off their ass, and they won't do that. <laughs> um, what what the authors will often say is, "Hell yes, right." Yeah. <laughs> but the the publisher has no particular interest in helping the author, yeah. and because that three dollars that is going to come out of it, uh, it, it means a trip to the lawyer's office uh, that's going to cost them two and a half bucks. They they'd rather just focus on the big stack of stuff on their desk yeah. rather than you know. It, it's kind of the bureaucracy of of corporations really
2: yeah and even even to the extent when you're dealing with smaller publishers it's you know there's nothing malicious about it just that that you know the, the small publishing industry you know no one's driving limousines around and lighting their cigars with 100 dollar bills so so just the the you know added paperwork of checking do we have audio on this book or that book is is not such an easy thing to do so I mean, it's not that it's that hard. It's just you have 15 other things you have to do. So, exactly.
0: um,
2: So, I, I think you're right. Uh, uh, um, we'll be talking to authors. So, if there are any authors listening out there who are interested in having audio done with their stuff,
1: and there uh, are, I, I know might, there are. Oh yeah, I, know I, I there might are have too. something for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so,
2: so maybe maybe we can talk in a more secret um, way again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely,
0: absolutely. That's cool. <laughs>